For the past two and a half months, we've been working our way through the letter of 1 Peter. The words of the apostle who daily walked with Jesus and was chosen by Jesus to be the one who would lead his people when Jesus left this earth. What a privilege to have these words. Do you want to know how to live really well? Well, Peter shows us. He shows us that Jesus doesn't take us out of a messed up and difficult world, but helps us to do well in it. Suffering, difficulty, injustice are not removed from our experience, but because of Jesus, we can have joy in those experiences. Peter reminds us repeatedly, because our story is grafted into God's story, we can have joy and hope because what we see in front of us is not all that is. We are headed towards a future glory. So walk. Walk in step with Jesus. Walk into obedience. Walk into submission. Walk into love. And yes, even walk into suffering as Jesus did for our sake. Peter's coming to the conclusion of his letter. Chapter 5 is what we're looking at today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. And so I'm going to give us a summary statement that will summarize the chapter and help us to to, uh, guide us into the different parts of it. To walk in step with Jesus is to lead well, follow well in the church as we walk together with humility and watchfulness in the grace of God. I'm going to begin with that phrase, in the church. And right out of the gate, we're going to see that this is a challenging message because Peter addresses our willingness and our ability to follow Jesus as a community. Individualism is the current of our culture. We value self-expression, self-determination, autonomy, independence. It's the air we breathe. It's the DNA of our culture. But in God's story, when we put our faith and trust in him, immediately we are put into a family where there's interdependence, we're responsible for and responsible to. Peter realized the importance of this because when he was walking with Jesus and he had this huge aha moment in his life where he realized that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God, immediately Jesus talks to Peter about the church that he's going to build and the role that Peter will play in that church. Peter assumes church here in chapter 5. He writes, so the I exhort the elders that are among you. Although he's writing to a scattered group of people, he assumes that they are gathering together, and as they gather, there are recognized leaders among them. A church without recognized leaders is incomplete. As the Holy Spirit was moving, and in different geographical regions, new churches were formed, Paul writes to his protege, Titus, these words. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see what's going on here? A church without recognized leaders called elders was incomplete, and Titus was called to to make that right in the church. So Peter now is writing to those leaders called elders. He wants them to lead well. Here are his words. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown 
of glory. Now, the word elder could refer to a person who is just older, of age, and that can be true in our society today as well. But in the Christian church, an elder was a particular kind of person. We read further in Titus where Paul writes this, And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or an insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In this fall, our eldership is going to be looking at the subject of women as elders, but in the first century, elders were men, and they were a particular kind of men. They were men of outstanding character, both in the church and outside of the church. Elders also had this distinguishing mark to them. They had a very good uh, hold on the word of God. And this was so important so that they could instruct and teach others, and they could also discern and correct error. Elders. And as Peter speaks to the elders now in chapter 5, we realize that he uses terms that describe what they are to do that also indicate their title. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So these roles of the elders were also names by which they became known as titles. Let me see if you can follow my logic. So in baseball, one who pitches is known as a pitcher. Right, you're with me. One who shepherds would be known as a shepherd. That's right, sometimes translated pastor. They lead, they feed, they care, they protect. One who oversees is also known as an overseer. That's right, they supervise and manage. And as you read scripture, even as we saw in the passage in Titus, sometimes those terms are used interchangeably. An elder is a bishop, a pastor. An elder is an overseer, a shepherd. And now Peter's writing to these leaders in the church to lead well. Now in the New Testament church, it does seem that there was some segmentation within eldership. When the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he says to him in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So it seems there was some categories within the eldership. In today's North American church and even Central Heights, it's reflective of, of sort of a distinguishing. We have a body of elders who typically we understand are to oversee the, the whole church. They manage, they supervise, they're responsible for the vision. And then we have a group of people who carry out the day-to-day -day ministry and do the bulk of the teaching. In North America and Central Heights, we call those pastors. Well, Peter would write to all the leaders, and he would say this to them. Be faithful in what God has called you to do, and maintain a good attitude and a right motivation for it. He says to them, don't lead, don't shepherd, don't give oversight with compulsion. Do it willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. A couple of days ago, I took a couple of uh, men from Central Heights on a, 
a bicycle ride, cycling, and I took them where they had never been before. And so we got to our destination, and when we got there, there was this beautiful lookout, and I thought to myself, on the way back, we'll go back a different way, you know, give them some variety. And so I, I gave the two of them the instruction as to, we're just going to go straight for a long ways, like a long ways, and uh, then eventually I'll, I'll show you and we'll turn left. Well, after like just a couple of minutes, maybe even just one minute, the, the guy who was in the lead, we hit our first intersection and he slows down and he has this look like, where, where do I go? Left, right, straight? And I just, I motioned him on, frustrated, I guess. And then I, I caught up to him to trash talk him a little bit. And I said to him as I looked at him, you didn't listen. And he said to me with a big grin on his face, sheep don't listen, sheep follow Boom, that's exactly what Peter is trying to get across. Leaders need to lead by example. Do you want to be a leader in God's church? Uh, do you want to be a leader somewhere? Like we're all in leadership somewhere, aren't we? To lead well is not to domineer. It's not to use people, manipulate them for your purposes. It's not to tell them what to do and to do those things that you don't want to do. From a Christian standpoint, to lead well is to serve and to lead by example, to follow Jesus so that other people know how to follow as you follow Jesus. We so desperately need good examples in our world today. We need men and women who can say, hey, I know it's not always easy to follow Jesus, but it can be done joyfully, faithfully. Watch me. People who will open up their lives, invite people in so they can see their lives. And they can be inspired as they follow Jesus and others are invited to follow along with them. This is the Christian way. Even as Paul said when he wrote, he said, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul was acquainted with people that lead well and those who don't. And he said, you can follow me as I follow Christ. We need those kind of examples today. People whose eyes are on Jesus. In the moment, we look to Jesus to help us to live today. But we also look to Jesus knowing for those who lead, and particularly if you're a leader in the church, as, a, as an elder, as a pastor, know that your chief shepherd has an unfading crown of glory for you. Lead well. To walk in step with Jesus is to lead well, follow well. As we walk together with humility and watchfulness in the grace of God. To function well in this world, God has given us institutions, government, marriage, the church. And for the church to do well, we need leaders who lead well. But we also need for people to follow well. So Peter writes to the young. And I think in doing so, he's writing to all of us. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, every championship team knows that the whole team needs to be submissive or buy into the philosophy of the coach. Michael Jordan had played for six years and never won a championship. 
the, even though he was arguably the best basketball player in the world, the turning point for him and his team was when they bought into a new philosophy of playing basketball that their coach proposed to them, and everyone was in. Superstar athletes know that players working together in unity far surpassed greatly skilled individuals working on their own. And so it is in the church. I mean, we all want to be something, do something special with Jesus, don't we? The question is, will we put ourselves in a position to be in the church and then align ourselves together to be on mission in unity as leaders lead and followers follow well? This doesn't mean there's no dialogue, there's no uh, robust conversation where there's disagreement. I mean, I have to say I'm so proud of Central Heights and a recent discussion we had around our mission house. We can disagree and honor one another and, and esteem one another and yet have varying opinions. At the end of the day, though, in church life, when a decision is made by the leadership, everybody needs to get on with that, to align ourselves. There's no, well, I disagreed with that decision, or boy, they sure don't know what they're doing. No, we honor, esteem one another, a decision's made, and we go forward to make the best of it. This takes humility. And Peter says, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility. See, we're all in relationships or in places where with our eyes are on Jesus, we take ourselves and we bring ourselves under the authority of another for God's sake. And this is not a popular message. You know, kids to parents, citizens to government, employees to employers, wives to husbands. We humble ourselves in order to bring ourselves under. And this is very precious in the sight of God. Peter quotes a proverb. Proverbs is a book we're going to be walking through in the summer. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter's writing to Christians. Would God oppose Christians? Would God oppose you? Would God oppose me? There's pride in my life. He would for my ultimate good. I mean, that word oppose, it's a, it's a military type word. It's like God will fight against you. You don't want that. But just be arrogant, just be haughty, just be prideful, and God will be frustrating the purposes in your life. But do you want to open the pipeline of God's grace in your life? Just be humble. You know, sometimes as we're walking with God, there are truths that we have to trust God in, and, and in that trust is timing. In Scripture, there are these sequences. Something happens so that something else can happen. So in, in the fitness world, it goes like this. No pain, no gain. In scriptures, we've seen in Peter, suffering, then glory. Humility, then exaltation. As we purposely lower ourselves in God's timing, he raises us up. So Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now the question might immediately arise, hey, if I don't look after my way, if I don't push for my position, if I don't like clutch and grab and exalt myself, then what's going to happen to me? Who's going to look after me? Peter's answer, God. As you hold things open-handedly, your, your decisions, your choices, your, your way, as you hold them loosely, trusting God, the God who died for you, cares for you. And you can cast all your anxieties on him. 
To walk in step with Jesus is to lead well, follow well in the church as we walk together in humility and watchfulness in the grace of God. Peter goes on in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Earlier I said that when you become a Christian, immediately you're put into God's family. And that's, that's great. That's warm and fuzzy. But it's also true that when you become a Christian, immediately you're put into a battle. And you have an adversary who does not want you to succeed. A spiritual being who is real. The Bible calls Satan. And he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. Peter knew this all too well. You might recall his story just before Jesus was crucified. The Savior spoke to him and said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Metaphorically, Satan wanted to destroy the faith of Peter. And it was tough for Peter. There were some failings in there, and that was very, very difficult for him. And it may be difficult for you as you follow Jesus. It can get very tough. But we cannot be Canadian passive about this. Peter instructs us to fight, to oppose, resist Satan where you see him at work in your own life and where you see him at work in the church. When Paul writes about Satan, he says, we are not ignorant of his devices. There are two areas that I've seen in my life where Satan seems to really focus on and Peter addresses them big time in his letter. One is relationships. Think offenses and pride. Have you ever been hurt by somebody? Has the church offended you in some way? Do you know how Satan wants you to respond with sinful responses that will imprison you? Another way or another device of Satan is around the area of suffering and disappointment. Think weak faith, tired faith, disillusioned faith. Do you know how Satan wants you to doubt God. It's this suffering and disappointment that Peter focuses in on here. And he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Had a conversation recently with a guy who's a young parent, uh, young kids, and just talking about how encouraging it was actually to have conversations with other couples that are in the same place they are, to know that you know, they're not the only one whose perfect child is uh, throwing tantrums or difficulties, sleepless nights, endurance, exhaustion, all those things that come with parenting with, with little children. It's encouraging. We find courage to know that other people are going through the exact same thing. You know the difficulties and trials that you're going through? You're not alone. It's not just you. You're not the only one that has failed. You're, you're not the only one that's experienced loss. You're not the only one that's in the fire. You can know that there are brothers and sisters around the world who have experienced or are experiencing the same thing. So take courage. Be alert. Be on guard. Resist Satan. Where you see him at work in your life, where you see him at work in the church. James puts it so well. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
as Peter gets to the very end of his letter, he's going to give some acknowledgments and final salutations. But before he does, he wants to leave us and those that were listening or hearing a word of encouragement to bolster their faith. See, I don't know what kind of circumstances you're in right now, but Peter has given us an arsenal of truth to equip us to live in the present circumstances, but also to prepare us for whatever may yet come. He wants us to know that there is a grace of God to help us in the moment, but that there's even a greater grace that is yet to come in God's eternal glory in just a little while. I love that phrase, in just a little while, because that phrase is also used in Revelations chapter 12, where it talks about Satan and the amount of time that he has left on earth for his evil influence, for his destruction. He has but a short time. In just a little while, God's going to reconcile all things. He's going to destroy the destroyer. The end of all things are at hand, Peter says. Suffering, yes, in the moment, but in just a little while. Glory. So Peter writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I like to cycle, and when I do, to get to places where there's beautiful views. But in order for that to happen, you have to climb a hill. And that can be really hard. And so sometimes when I'm doing that, I got to really push myself. And there's all kinds of self-talk going on. You can do it. Yeah, your lungs are burning, but come on, keep it up. Yeah, your legs are hurting, but it's okay. Can you see it? It's there. Can you see it? You're getting closer. It's not going to be a year. It's not going to be months. It's not going to be days. It's not going to be an hour. In just a little while, press on. You'll get there. And when you do, you arrive and you breathe deeply and you start to relax and you look around and you go, it was so worth it. I'm so glad. God has called you to an eternal glory and he's going to work in your life in the present and he'll work in our lives in the future to bring us through to what he has in store for us, a season and time when we will experience his perfect rule and reign in a perfect world. Walk in step with Jesus. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.